Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we go deep into the high-performance habits of the world's top performers, look at the only place confidence truly comes from, dig into why we struggle to perform when the pressure is on, examine closely the habits, routines, and strategies of the world's absolute best and what they use to perform at their peak, and much more with our guest, Dr. Michael Gervais, who's making a comeback appearance on the show. This is his second time around. We love the first interview so much that we're having him back. I'm going to give you three quick reasons why you should sign up and join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers, so be sure, check that out, sign up and join the email list if you have not done it. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand. This is our most popular guide. It's called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it absolutely for free along with another surprise bonus guide when you sign up and join the email list today. You're also going to get a curated weekly email from us every Monday called Mindset Monday, which listeners have been loving. It's short, simple articles, stories, and videos that we found fascinating or interesting in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get an exclusive chance to shape the show. You can help us vote on guests. You can submit your own questions to our guests, help us change the intro music, become part of exclusive things that we only offer to our community, including giveaways and much more, but you won't know about any of that stuff unless you're on the email list. So be sure to sign up, join the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're driving around, if you're on your phone, if you're on the go right now, 
Just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. That's SMARTER to 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed the relationship between bad ideas and creative genius. The three biggest lessons from setting the most successful hedge fund on earth. Why a complete stranger may often be a better judge of your abilities than you are. The key things that stand in the way of developing more self-awareness and how you can fix them. Why it's so important to invest in the ability to make better decisions and much more with our guest, Dr. Adam Grant. If you want to become a better version of yourself, be more creative, have more ideas, and be more innovative, be sure to listen to that episode. Now for the show. Today, we have another exciting guest coming back to the show, Dr. Michael Gervais. Michael is a high-performance psychologist who has worked with some of the world's top performers, including the Seattle Seahawks, Felix Baumgartner, the Red Bull athlete who completed the stratosphere jump, Olympians, musicians, and champions. His work has been featured on ESPN, CNN, the New York Times, and much more. Michael, welcome back to the Science of Success. All right. Thanks for having me back. This was a great conversation the first time around, so uh, thank you. Well, we really enjoyed the conversation last time, and there's so many more nuggets of insight that we want to dig into. I mean, you obviously have spent a tremendous amount of time working with some of the world's top performers, athletes, musicians, et cetera, and really kind of seen what it takes to perform at the highest levels. And I'd love to, in this episode, kind of unpack and get into some of the concrete elements of kind of the, you know, how do you, how do you work on those mindset trainings? for for somebody who's at the top of their game you know what does that look like how does they how do they structure their day and and how does that process kind of function i love it so one of the i think fundamental i don't know i don't want to call it a mistake but there's a nuance here that i want to talk about which is we love to put the great doers of the word on on a pedestal and you know some of the most extraordinary people are people in sport and in science and people that have done amazing things and it's not that they what they've done is that amazing, but there's media around it. So we pay attention to it. There are extraordinary things that take place all the time, but there's no cameras. We don't know how to value that creativity, that dedicated disciplined mind because we don't see it. And so what I want to, what I want to pull a thread back on is there are extraordinary people right now listening in your community that do extraordinary things and they know it. And they're nodding their head like, yeah, right on. They just don't have a camera pointed at them. And that begs the question is, are the extraordinary doers that have cameras on them, are they born that way? No, we know that. What is it about them? Okay, yes, they're able to perform when the lights are on. And many of us struggle with that. Okay, so that is one piece of it is that sometimes the non-conditioned mind finds it very difficult to be fluid and to be eloquent when there's quote unquote pressure and we have to define pressure for ourselves. We can get into that conversation. So it's not that these extraordinary doers that have media coverage are fundamentally different than the rest of us, but they have done something that is fundamentally different. They've organized their life, fundamentally organized their life to grow, to get better, to be progressive, to push to the boundaries to have incredible feedback loops that are highly accurate and very sensitive and finely tuned. And those feedback loops 
are part of their the accelerated arc or accelerated growth that they're looking for. So while it's easy to put extraordinary doers on a pedestal, and I'm not I don't want to take anything away from what they've done because you know you see some of the best in the world, the tip of the arrow in any domain, and it's like, wow, that is beautiful. Like look how easy they make the complicated scene. And it is beautiful, whether it's words or whether it's painting and canvas or whether it's movement and motion. It is beautiful when you see the best and the best. But when we pull back the curtain and really look, what's extraordinary is the way that they fundamentally organize their life to get better and to help those around them get better. There's several different things I want to unpack from that. So just to make sure we don't forget these, I definitely want to dig into pressure and how to perform under pressure. I really want to talk about how we can build feedback loops into our lives. But before we do either of those, tell me more about this idea of having their day sort of, or their lives sort of fundamentally organized around performance and growth. Okay. Well, if we take a look first at what is very primary, like the basic, basic, basic stuff of people getting better, there's only three things that we can train as we've talked about before. We can train our body, we can train our craft, and we can train our mind. And for a long time, people have invested incredible resources, you know, good science, as well as old school traditions on how to develop a craft, whether that craft be ballet, or whether that craft be something about leadership, like there's some good science and some good practices, whether you know, on this on the leadership stuff, it goes all the way back to Sun Tzu, right, the art of war. And I don't know how many translations there's been. But those principles seem to be interesting to lots of leaders, and all the modern day research that comes out about leadership. And, and the same with sport like the origins of sport are built on ancient traditions of war. And so those traditions have been passed down and passed down and passed down and mutated and, and adapted for modern sport. So there's great traditions and there's good science. The emerging field of sport science is we're starting to get our arms around what are the right questions and what is the right or what are the right data to be able to have better insights that are actionable for athletes to be even more finely tuned to both their intuition, their sense of how their body's doing based without data, as well as, you know, how their body's doing with data. Okay. So then the third pillar though, the mind and how to condition and train the mind, it's a big deal. And I haven't met an athlete or coach yet on the world stage that doesn't say, oh yeah, the mental part of the game, that's a game. That is a big deal. And it begs the question, what are the ancient traditions and what is the science teaching us about how to condition our mind? So when we look at the best in the world and when we look at them across domains, the tip of the arrow across domains are more similar to each other than dissimilar. That being said, there is no just one path (laughs) and not everybody does it a certain way. There is many different routes to becoming one's best or the best that you, you can imagine. So there is a common thread though, that people are uncommonly relentlessly dedicated in almost a nauseatingly focused way to build and refine their craft, to build and have the right body for the right carriage, if you will, to be strong and flexible, to do the things that they need to do. And then also the same ability to adapt and be strong uh, from a mental standpoint. So those are the three lenses. And what they do is they organize their life to be able to provide opportunities to stress the system and recover the system. And when I say system, I'm talking about the the human mind and body. And it's not that mechanical, right? It's not that simple. But every day we need to 
push on the limits of our craft, push on the limits of our body and push on the limits of our mind and then appropriately recover. And how do we know if we are pushing to the limits? We need those feedback loops and those feedback loops are both internal and external. And so what an external feedback loop is like information from the environment, which in, let's say, action sports or X Games types of stuff or things that are happening outdoors, less the stick and ball sports for just a moment, but more the action adventure sports. When, when people make mistakes there, there are consequences. I don't want to be dramatic. There, there can be radical consequences, but they don't have to be. But those consequences are often physical and they're real and that sort of toll on the body can be very dangerous. And so those feedback loops are wonderful. When you get real-time natural feedbacks, when there's consequences on the line, that feedback is awesome because you, you have to be on. You have to have your antenna perked in just the right attunement. And if not, those consequences can, you know, <laughs> they can get you. And then there's also more man-made or artificial consequences. And those man-made artificial consequences oftentimes show up in business. They show up in um, traditional stick and ball sport where it's a little bit of like you look back to other humans to see how you're doing. And that can be an accelerant. That can be a good thing. And that can be troublesome if that is if looking for others for feedback becomes part of a, um, a, a loop that is not what's the right word here is not primary and pure, meaning that it can get cloudy and noisy when we're looking to other people to see how we're doing, unless we know those people in our lives have our best interest at heart. And when we ask, the last two years, we've spent, Coach Carroll is the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He and I built a joint venture together and we took our insights on how to switch on a culture and how to train the minds of people that want to be great. The work essentially we've been doing over the Seattle Seahawks together and we built this business and we've over the last 24 months, we've trained 30,000 people at uh, on average eight hours a person. That's 240,000 human hours of mindset training in, in, uh, across our, our efforts here. And we're just getting started, but it's a really good dent. And I shouldn't say it's a dent. It's really good momentum is more what it feels like. And the point that I want to share about that is that when we ask folks, about what is it who in your life helps you be better and what are those characteristics of those people and it's basically an exercise to help people say what are those characteristics and and am i am i living that way am i helping people you know based on the characteristics that i value be better and across the board <laughs> it's like unanimously it's outrageous people say you know what the best the most significant accelerants for me being better, those people in my life are those that I just know that they have my back, that they have my best interest, not their best interest. And so when we go back to stitch that back to the feedback loop, the feedback loop from humans is really important when we know first and foremost that it is really about them providing us the right information in the right way at the right time to help us grow, to help the person grow. It doesn't mean that they're not interested in, in the benefits, you know, the ancillary benefits if you do extraordinarily well. And that's kind of the coaching role in many ways is you want to help athletes or executives be great. And when I say coaching, I'm not talking about life coaching. I'm talking about uh, performance coaching. When, when you want to help them be great, that there is a glow that you get, you know, and, and that helps your career as well. So 
it, it is sticky in some circumstances because we are relying on each other to do great, but we have to first and foremost have the relationships where it's pure. And the information I'm going to give you is for you to be your best. And anyways, uh, I can talk more deeply if you'd like about feedback loops, but those are some of the large 60,000 foot frames that I think are important to get right. I want to drill down into feedback loops, but I don't want to lose sight of the larger conversation. So I do want to come back to that. But talking specifically about kind of developing feedback loops in our lives, you know, I think when I look at something like, you know, sport or even, you know, something like poker or chess, where there's really clear sort of results and measurement and the ability to go back and analyze performance really succinctly, it's obvious kind of how to get feedback. But when I look at something like business or investing or even, you know, some creative endeavors, how do you think about developing feedback loops in those more kind of murky, nebulous fields? Mm. Okay. So again, the two, the main levers of feedback are internal and it's so that's like how am i doing right like what does it feel like is am i aligned with my thoughts my words and my actions is my body executing at the level or in in the the right way and when we're talking about poker and those types of things it is an alignment that you can sense is there clarity in my thought it does my body have too much tension not enough tension am i under aroused over aroused so there is an internal feedback loop and that is a skill to become aware of that and the second part of that skill is to be able to, once you're aware that maybe, let's say that you're a bit too nervous or you've got too much energy in your body or you're thinking about what happens if you blow it or what the consequences will be if you lose this hand or lose this round, that once you're aware of maladaptive physical or mental strategies, then the second part, the second skill is to have the tools, the mental skills and tools to be able to adjust. So it's a two-part system of, of being great as an internal feedback loop. First awareness, then skill. Now, external is when you've got people in your life that are helping you get better. That's part of external. And the other part of external is being able to recognize the impact that you're having or on the environment and or that the environment is having on you. So at any given point in time, Matt, we can have attention focused internally or externally. And if we spend too much time on the internal awareness, we lose the ability to focus on the external, which is really where sport and performance take place. It happens outside. All of the thinking and the regulation that happens inside is to ready us to be able to have output. And that output, what we're looking for is high-performing, eloquently adjusting, real-time, sensitive, extraordinary impact on our environment. That's what the output is, whether it's a paintbrush, whether it's the analysis of a poker table, or whether it's snapping a free throw, you know, game seven of the, of, of the finals in the NBA, whatever it might be. And so there is an internal game that happens first, and then there's an external game. And what we want to be able to do is have this rapid cycle between internal and external. And that is essentially the feedback loops that we're talking about. Now, when we're in training, those external feedback loops, the human part is the, is the part that gets tricky because human relationships are tricky. <laughs> They're not simple. And that's why we start, and I'm, when I say we, I'm talking about Coach Carol and I, more particularly maybe at the Seattle Seahawks, there's a deep commitment to want to be a relationship-based culture where we start with the relationships because it's with the relationships with other people that makes us. Now we have to have a relationship with ourselves first 
to be a great partner for other people. So it's relationship with self first, then relationship with others, getting those things calibrated properly, getting the mission set up so that we can nod our head and put our noses, point our noses in the right direction, in the same direction, and then work ridiculously hard running to the edge of our capacity on craft, body, and mind every day. And when guys are tripping and falling down or not doing exactly right or you know, literally dropping the ball sometimes, it's okay. I got their back because I know that they're going to, I'm going to trust that they're going to have my back as well. And so to do extraordinary things in life, whether that's being an extraordinary lover or being an extraordinary entrepreneur, nobody does it alone. We need other people. And so what that means is we've got to invest in, in the true connection to lock our arms because to do extraordinary things, we need other people. That means we've got to stay locked as best as we can when it gets hard. And the greatest wayfinders, I'm not sure if you're familiar with wayfinders, the people that travel the world without modern technology and travel the oceans without modern technology, when they set sail and they might not come back because the ocean is dangerous, when they set sail, they don't pray for calm waters. They pray for rugged seas because it's the rugged sea, it's moving through the rugged sea that becomes the separator. Most people can't manage the tension they can't manage the hostility or ruggedness because they, they have not conditioned their mind to find that that is where we get exposed. That is where we get made. That is where we find out our true nature in those rugged and hostile environments. And for most people, if they haven't conditioned their mind, their brain wins. So the brain's job is to scan the world and find what's dangerous. And I want to oversimplify this really beautiful piece of electricity, chemistry, tissue, that we have really no idea what this three pounds of tissue is doing in our skull. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And it's underserved, underutilized, underprogrammed. And that hardware, our brain tissue is programmed by our mind. The mind is the software of the hardware, if you will. And those that haven't trained the software, the mind, the brain will win because it's, it, its whole job is to keep you alive. The mind's job is to override, to know how to override our DNA when we find ourselves purely responding in survival mode as opposed to optimized mode, right? There's this, <laughs> this, our survival you know, tactics that are natural to our brain will help us stay alive. And they are incredible. They are optimized for survival. But, you know, when you're giving a speech in front of, I don't know, fill in the blank, two people to 20,000 people, it's not survival mode at that time. It's meant to be a moment to express authentically. And if we don't condition our mind, this is now me on a pedestal, right? If we don't condition our mind, our brain will win. And I know you felt it, Matt. I know that you, your community folks feel it, that we have those moments and we've studied our ass off, we prepared for it, and all of a sudden we tighten up. And we've got cortisol running through our system. We've got too much adrenaline. We've got that stuff inside of us where we start to sweat in weird places. We start to think differently. We start to have this rapid eye movement where we're scanning the world and seeing if we're doing okay. Bullshit on that. That's where we get into trouble is we look in, when we look into the world and to the eyes of other people to see their body language, to see if we're okay, that's wrong. That's not having an accurate internal filter. That's having an external focus filter to see if you're okay based on what other people think of you. And I know you've heard of YOLO, you only live once, that's great. You've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out, that's cool. But I think there's a new thing that, I don't know, I haven't heard it before, so I, I, maybe this is like where it happens. FOPO, fear of, I'm sorry, fear of other people's opinion. 
And it's, it's one of, I think, the most silent traps for, that robs us, that keeps us stuck from expressing and exploring our own potential, fear of other people's opinions. It's especially in our, our modern times, we've got this ancient brain that's trying to keep us alive. And in modern times, we just haven't quite figured out how to say, I'm okay. You know, I'm likely not being hunted today. And there's not a predator that's 15 feet tall that's trying to whatever. And there's not a warring country that's coming into my tribe today. This is a speech. This is a, a bet I'm laying on the poker table. This is a free throw shot. This is a well, fill in the blanks. So, all right, <laughs> I got to get off my pedestal for a minute because I, 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 I got to tell you, Matt, I love these conversations. So when you asked me to come back, I was like, yeah, I love it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. No, that's great. I mean, there's there's so many things I want to dig into from from what you said. I mean, l- let's start with, you know, when and I, and by the way, I think it's such a such a really important point that the brain 
you know, the hardware of the brain was not designed to exist in modern society. It was designed to exist, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. And, and the, the reactions we have to an email from your boss might be the same reaction we had to a dangerous threat out in the bush. And, and it's not the appropriate reaction in many cases. And, you know, it's funnily enough, the very first episode we ever did on this show was called the biological limits of the human mind. And that's what we talked about. So I love that principle, but I want to ground that back into, you know, what, what should we do when we get caught up in that internal dialogue and that internal game, you know, when we're too much in our heads, how do you, how does that look like to kind of both prepare for that and also in that moment kind of pull out of that. Okay. It's just like anything else. It's just like physical training, you know, and it's just like technical training is that you want to start in a thoughtful, progressive way. So early days, you start training your mind in calm environments. And then you say, well, what does that mean? What, what, what are we training? Well, it's, you can train confidence. You can train calm. You can train focus. You can train optimism, which is, I think, at the center of mental toughness. You can train uh, passion, believe it or not, by understanding what gets in the way of passion. You can train passion as well by having a clear mission that really gets your heart to thump. So you train all of those. You train lots of mental skills, including imagery and resiliency skills. You can train all of those in quiet, calm environments. And that sometimes is involved in knowledge acquisition, like what are the mechanics of confidence? What, what is the definition of optimism? Why is it important? What's the science around it? So there's knowledge acquisition first with just about anything. And then there's the practicing of it. And you practice those in progressively aggressive environments. So you start again with a calm environment, practicing optimism in a calm environment, and then practicing it in a more stressful environment until maybe you're practicing it in hostile and rugged environments where consequences are real. And I mean, we could get into the weeds of optimism if you want. And many people hear that word and they're like, oh, okay, it just got soft. Oh, we're going to talk about everything's good and positive. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> that's not what it is at all. You know, optimism is essentially, optimism and pessimism are essentially the way that you think about the future. And it's a skill. You're not born with it. You don't come out of the womb optimistic or pessimistic. There is some evidence that there is some genetic predispositions, you know, where people are, come out of the womb with a little bit more of an anxious, pessimistic state, and some come out with a bit more optimistic, calm state. But that being said, it's a skill, okay? It's like, just like everything, genetics are involved, environments are involved, and so is training. And it, I, I don't know, I just flat out don't know somebody who is world-class, world-leading, that doesn't believe that what's coming up is going to be extraordinary. That's a skill. <laughs> That's totally a skill. And as soon as I talk about optimism, pessimism in, you know, small rooms of 200 or 2000 people, I get like this, I can feel it. I can just feel that people are like, oh, okay, here we go. I knew it. This is going to turn soft all of a sudden. <laughs> and so it's like, again, bullshit on that. This is, this is about conditioning your mind to be extraordinary on the razor's edge. And if you don't believe it's going to get good, you know what happens? We give into the tension of our brain and we eject out. And if we eject out too early or pull out too early or escape, if you will, remember our, our brain is, you know, there's five functions under stress, fight, flight, freeze, submission, and flow. And if we pull out too early, we don't get to the good stuff. And, you know, if I could pull on this thread just a little bit more, we right now, we live in a culture, Western, Western culture for, for certain, where of productivity, where our identities are increasingly tied to how much we're doing. We are running and gutting, we're hustling, and where our self-worth 
you know, driven by all the non-conscious belief. If we do more, that we'll be more. We'll be more relevant, be more valuable, we'll, we'll be more needed, maybe more worthy. And it's a function of what and how much we do. That's wrong. The idea that we need to do more to be more is broken. And it was passed down for good reason from our great great grandparents coming through the industrial revolution when they saw, you know, machines coming in and they said, Oh, you know what? Um, no machines taking my job. I'm going to outwork that thing. I'm gonna, you can't replace a human. So they went home and passed on that thinking that we need to, we need to work to save our jobs. Like, and that's where like the real hard work value systems were reinforced in modern times. But now it's gone crazy. It's literally, I, I bet you feel it. I bet your community feels it where this idea that I need to do more to be more is so tiring and so exhausting that people find a real deep fatigue worrying about all the things that they need to do to be okay. And it's time to flip the model. It, I think you would feel it and I think most people do feel it. it's time to flip the model that we need to be more to do more and let our doing flow from our being. What are we talking about being? Being more present, being more grounded, being more authentic. And it feels like to me, it's time to recognize that our value is inherent and not contingent upon what we do. And that can be, an, you can nod your head right now and say, yeah, 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 mumbo jumbo. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Of course, that's, that's not new. No, it's not. But the intellectual idea and concept is not enough. We have to act on it. And so the acquisition of knowledge is not enough. And so many of us are smart enough that learning comes easy, that we want to learn, 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 read this book, that book. And, you know, I get asked all the time, what are the three books that you enjoy? Who cares? Like, it's how do you apply? Why do you care what book I'm reading? Like, I, I don't get that. It's a book that I'm interested in. That doesn't mean you should be interested in it. It's the application of knowledge that really is, I think, the most important accelerant to our growth. Knowledge is important. It's a base. But it's how you condition and train and apply it in calm environments, progressively working up to rugged environments that allows you to say something to yourself, which is something along the lines, I can do difficult things. And when you can say, I can do difficult things, and you can have a deep trust that you can be authentically yourself and grounded and present in any environment, and you don't need the doing to define you, there is incredible freedom right on the other side. And that's a human that becomes really powerful. In graduate school, one of, the, one of my professors was just bang on right about this and he should just hit it home. He says, the most powerful people in the world are those that have nothing to lose. And then he, he just stopped talking. And I could tell he, he knew exactly what he meant, but he wasn't giving us the answer. Come to find out, it's like those that have too much money, that they, don't, they, just, they can just out money you in anything. They are dangerous because they don't care about it. They have too much. Like I'm thinking about the billionaires that, you know, it's some sort of lawsuit or whatever. That's a dangerous human. And you know who the other dangerous ones are? Those who have nothing. They have nothing. Maybe they, maybe they have no home. They become dangerous because they have nothing. And so there's nothing to lose. And then there's a third person, those that have nothing to prove. Ooh, because they don't have to do the thing to prove to you that they are okay. Now that, so you can talk about, we can talk about all the mental skills and tactics and tools, and they're all great. They're very important to get you to one place, which is I know how to be me and express me in any environment. And I'm not intimidated by what you think. I love you. I, I love people. And I no longer care what they think of me. 
If you can get to that place, it's, there's an incredible freedom on the other side to figure it out. And I think that that is part of all of our journeys to figure out how to love deeply, to know yourself so well that you can love others. You're not trying to protect and save your own ass and defend yourself when someone in your home says, why'd you do that? And listen, I wish I was free from that. I'm not. <laughs> so I'm not trying to say that, you know, that I'm this um, sage on stage. That's, that's wrong. I'm just like everyone else in your community trying to figure it out. And, but when we don't need to defend and protect ourselves, that we can be ourselves and be eloquent and adjust, there's an incredible freedom on that. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a manager, a leader in, in an organization, a poker player, or an aspiring or world-class athlete, to be able to be grounded and be present in stress, what once was a stressful environment, whew, it's, that's the good stuff. Wow, that that was amazing. I mean, we, literally, when you said that those who have nothing to prove are incredibly powerful, I got chills. I mean, that's a fascinating uh, idea and concept, and I think so so important. And and I love also the notion that we need to 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 let our doing flow from our being. Uh, both of those ideas are are really really interesting to me. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It's good stuff. So the, the tools and tricks and tactics and oh, there's no tricks, by the way, there's no tips. You know, it's like you got to just do the hard yard of training your mind to get to the place that you can be you. And what does that mean? Like, can you be yourself in highly stressful, rugged, hostile, razor's edge environments? Because if you can't you, and you know you can't, you know, or know that you, you most of the time you can't, you're just fooling yourself. It's just you're trying to prove that you're okay. And that's a slippery little internal game, you know, that our minds can play on us. And, uh, you know, I know this from, from me, trying to work me out better so I can be a better partner to other people is that it's hard to do the hard things. It's really hard. And when it gets hard, you know, there's a sign in the Seattle Seahawks that in one of the, the, the doors for one of the team rooms and it says everyone wants to be great. And so they realize what greatness is, what, what is required of greatness. And doing the hard things means that you're not great at it. It's hard. It's sticky. It's like you're not eloquent. But that's where we get, again, exposed for what we're not good at. Not exposed as a human, but exposed as a doer, not a beer. But we get exposed what we're not good at. And that's where the good feedback loops take place. It's like, oh, look, I can't think clearly as soon as fill in the blank. Or I can't move eloquently as soon as fill in the blank. Well, I need to be in those environments more often. And for, for your community members that are listening, I think it's really important for them to write that stuff down, write it down. Like just put it on a whiteboard, put it on, you know, put it in your phone, whatever. Like where, what are the environments and conditions where you struggle? Well, then from there, you can back in a very clear mental skills training program to say, okay, well, I'm going to train confidence. I'm going to train calm. I'm going to train mindfulness. You know, and, and that's where it gets really, I think, bespoke and customized. There's there's so many different ways I want to dig into this. I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of those kind of tactics for training calm and confidence. I know in our previous conversation, we went really deep into, into optimism and kind of some of the strategies for training that. Tell me a little bit about how you work on training calm and confidence. Well, confidence is really mechanical. It's super simple. It, it does. It's super simple to understand. It doesn't mean it's super simple to do, but confidence only comes from one place. And most people, when asked that question, like if, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, Matt, but like your community members that are, are, are listening, you know, where does confidence come from? And if you just take a moment to try to sort that out, 
where does it come from? That it, if it only comes from one place, it's not success. It's not great performance. It's not past success. It's not preparation even. I can't tell you how many best in the world, like in, in the UFC, I was fortunate enough to spend some time working with some amazing combative athletes in that domain and some that didn't understand how to actually the value of training their mind, but they were doing some work because I was obviously working with them. I would see them change from the, from the concrete floor walking into the UFC cage. I'd see them change on the five steps that they walk up to walking through the threshold of the cage door and the cage door closes behind them and they're looking across to another skilled human, equally skilled, maybe better, maybe a little bit worse, but equally skilled. And to have 18,000 fans in the environment, millions of people watching to want to see blood, potentially yours, and you're looking across to another man that is equally skilled as you. And all you have is your feet, your elbows, your hands, some knees, and your mind. That's it. Your hands and your feet and your mind in the most ancient of tests. And I see people change because the environment dictated their mind rather than their mind dictate the environment. And it begins with confidence. It really does. And confidence only comes from one place, which is not past success. It's not preparation. Those are necessary, but not sufficient. It only comes from what you say to yourself. And I've seen people that are pretty confident on the concrete floor, but then as soon as they walk up the steps, they start to say something to themselves. That inner dialogue, that self-talk that's like, oh man, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, God, I hope I'm going to be okay. Jeez, I wish I would have slept a little bit better. Damn, fill in the blanks. And that's where we start to really unravel. And so confidence doesn't come from preparation. You got to have it. It's a necessary ingredient, but not enough. It only really comes from what you say to yourself. So write it down. Write down, the, write down what it sounds like when you're a shithead to yourself. Like, you know, when you're screwed up, write those thoughts down and then be done with them. Those thoughts, those self-critical, self-doubt, excessive worry, all of those thoughts don't build space. They build constriction. They build tension. They build tightness. And while it might seem trite or it might seem, I don't know, candied, flavored, if you will, just say, oh, what's, what's the big deal? Like if I say to myself, I suck. Now, it's that one statement's not enough to do any real damage, but it's a little paper cut. And over time, a, a bunch of paper cuts in the same area becomes a real irritant. And then on the other side, write down the, the thoughts, the, literally the statements, the way it sounds to be in your head when you're on point, when it's good to be you. What are you saying to yourself? And that would be like 101, <laughs> you know, like the 101 course on confidence is what are the negative thoughts and what are the positive thoughts? Write them down, get them out of your head, externalize your, your hard drive, get it out. And then so you could just make a decision about, oh, you know what, I want to have more of those good thoughts. Okay, for me to have those good thoughts, I want to practice them. And then I want to put myself in environments to test them to see if they hold up. And that's it. So and, and, and again, it's a mechanical process, but it doesn't mean it is mechanical when you do it. You don't walk into an environment and say, oh, God, what are my good thoughts? What are my epic thoughts? That's right. I am strong. No, it's not like that. It's like you've conditioned yourself to, to know that you are strong and to know that those types of thoughts build you. So in the ready room, go back to UFC, in the ready room when you're breaking a sweat, you, that's where you say to yourself, I put in the fucking work. Let's go. My shit is strong and on point. I'm going to snap my jab. 
going to pivot my hips and I'm going to lock and load. Let's, let's go. And whatever it is. And if, if you don't appreciate the combative sports, then you would use it something in a more artistic, you know, uh, canvas and or business way. So it's doing the work ahead of time. So where's confidence come from? Now, you know, <laughs> it comes from what you say to yourself. Who's responsible for that? You are. So do the work. <laughs> so I want to get really specific on this. So once we, let's say we kind of somebody who's listening maybe has a lot of problems with negative thoughts or negative self-talk, write down the negative thoughts, write down, you know, kind of positive self-talk and what that looks like. How do we then start to, you know, what are the mechanics of kind of conditioning ourselves to use and experience more positive self-talk? Yeah. Well, again, the first is having, if you're going to throw darts, know where the bullseye is. And so the bullseye in this case are thoughts that work for you. And it's not that if you wrote down five thoughts, those are the only five thoughts to have, but they just capture the spirit of that type of thinking. So remember, thoughts lead to thought patterns and thought patterns lead lead to habits of mind. And so we want to create habits of mind that do what? Build confidence. And so what are the thoughts are just the beginning part of the, the bullseye to have thought patterns. And so how do you do it? Well, you could you could go way back to kind of early days in sports psychology and practice those thoughts. I don't think that's that's not that, that that's too silly for me. But at least knowing them, writing them down is good. But it's really about the feeling. Those thoughts and thought patterns and habits lead to emotions and feelings. So we want to get to those feelings. But feelings only happen if you reverse engineer them through thinking and thinking patterns. So then what do we do? We get clear that there's a type of thought structure that promotes us to feel big and strong and flexible and dynamic. Okay, so then the next thing that we do is we go challenge ourselves. Every day we make a commitment to challenge ourselves to see if we give in to the challenge and start to critique and doubt and worry. Or do we stay the course and fight through it? And say to ourselves and say basically this, the thoughts on, on the other side. Okay, so that's, that's, it's not more complicated than that. Now, if you don't want to do that because you can't quite figure out how to get to the edge of your comfort zone today or tomorrow, and there's lots of ways to do that. You can do that through emotional vulnerability, and you can do the old school way is do it through, you know, getting your heart rate up where it feels like it's going <laughs> to, you know, you're at, you're at your max thresholds. So you can do it through fitness, but that's a little bit, it's limiting, you know. But that's the way that a lot of people do do it through emotional vulnerabilities. Another way by being uncomfortable emotionally. Now you can also do it if you don't want to do it again physically. You can do it in imagination, and so you can close your eyes and use this amazing um, imagery making machine that, from good science, we know does impact our performance. It impacts our neurochemistry. It impacts impacts our neurobiology, and it also impacts our psychology when we see ourselves performing and being in certain environments in particular ways. And so if we can slow down and actually create a lifelike image of a particular scenario that we can practice ways of thinking and ways of feeling and ways of moving. And if you go back to something like one of the projects, the Red Bull Stratus project that that I was fortunate to be part of with Felix Baumgartner, he only got one shot in real life to jump from 130,000 feet. And he was going to be the first human to travel through the speed, to travel and break the speed of sound without a capsule around him. And the brightest minds in aerospace were not sure if when he traveled through the sonic boom and, and part of his body was subsonic and part of his body was transonic, like, and there was these different tensions on every part of his body, they weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Was it his arms and legs going to rip off? 
when he traveled through the sonic boom, if he, if he could travel at the speed of sound, Mach 1. And if you only get one shot of doing it, and we know that a particular way of thinking and feeling precedes behaviors, so thoughts lead to emotions, and emotions and thoughts together impact performance. Well, let's get our thoughts and emotions right. So we put ourselves, especially in hostile environments, in the right condition to capture the right way of performing. So how many times do you think, you know, I'm not going to give you the number because that that part of the conversation is is for him to share. But the, what I just shared with is, is all public. But you can imagine how many times that we used imagery to get the right state of mind and the right state of body prior to the jump so that he could perform and adjust eloquently. So it is sloppy just to show up and think that you're going to be okay. <laughs> you show up, you show up in with purposeful ways in low stress environments, all the way to the most rugged environments you can create. That's really fascinating. And, and I'd love to hear a few more insights from, from your work with Felix. I mean, that was, I remember watching that live and especially at the point where he, where he kind of passed out for a second or lo- that they lost communication or whatever was really, really tense, but it was, it was amazing jump. But before kind of digging into that a little bit more, you know, I think underscoring this, this whole kind of delve into strategy and self-talk and, and how to think about your thoughts is something you said earlier, which is really important, which is that there are no shortcuts, right? There's no kind of tricks or tips, really the, the peak performance and, and all these things, the strategies aren't complex or hidden. They're really simple. It's just about doing the hard work and actually putting, putting the work in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think it's really important to just honor this only if you want to be the best version of yourself. And again, for what aim is so that you can be deeply connected to other people. And because it's the connection together that takes us to the extraordinary, you know, and, and that, again, that's everywhere from business to love. And sometimes those two are co-mingled. But the idea, meaning that we can love deeply what we do and the people that we're with and do extraordinary things. But the the idea that there's only three things that we can train, craft, body, and mind, It's training the mind is not extra. It, it's not something that we leave to the end of the day or later. It's something that we need to invest in on a regular basis. Because if you train your craft to a ridiculous aim and you are a technician, I mean, at the highest proficiency in the gym, so to speak, or in the office cubicle, but you don't train your mind. And then as soon as there's these forms of pressure in the environment, once you leave the, the workout gym and go into the arena or you leave the cubicle and go on stage or go into the boardroom and your mind is not strong, obviously you're exposed. Like that's not, you know, that's not good. That's not optimal. So we have to do all three. And again, I want to come back to where, let me see if I could stitch together confidence and mindfulness. Those two are intimately linked. So mindfulness by definition is a training modality to help increase awareness of thoughts. It is a focus training. It's not a relaxation training. It's a focus training to focus on the present moment without judgment of our awareness of our thoughts, our emotions, our body sensations, and the unfolding environment around us. That awareness training becomes the beginning grounds of being aware of our thought patterns, being aware of our actual thoughts. And if we can change, if we can become aware of our thoughts and thought patterns, and become more sensitive and finely tuned to them, 
we can course correct and choose the thoughts that help build a state, an internal state that promotes us to be more optimal, as opposed to being unaware of our internal thinking patterns. And if those thinking patterns are not promoting, actually creating so much tension and toxicity internally that we shut down or close off or tighten up. That's where the the term choking comes from. You know, there's choking, there's micro choking, there's performing, there's performing under pressure, and then there's dissolving pressure. But most people don't choke and most people don't dissolve pressure. They play somewhere safer in the middle. Micro choking is we're choking off access. Our mind is choking off access to our craft. And, you know, performing and thriving under pressure is cool, but it's not dissolving pressure. So our work is to become aware of our thoughts that lead to thinking patterns and course correct them as quickly as we possibly can to promote an internal state that allows us to be present, authentic, and grounded so that we can adjust eloquently to the external demands, sometimes internal demands of performance. So again, there's no shortcut. <laughs> you just got to do the hard work. And I, at this point, I'm sure much, much of your community is familiar with mindfulness. And if they're not, it, it is a definite beginning place to start. So tell me more about, and I, I love this distinction between the idea of, of performing under pressure versus dissolving pressure. So performing under pressure is that you interpret that if you think there's pressure, you're right. And that also holds true for being able to dissolve pressure. It is possible to change your relationship with yourself and the environment in such a way that pressure is dissolved. And how does that happen? Well, there is no, I can't tell you how to do that. You have to figure it out. You have to do the hard work to figure out your unique psychological framework that your parents gave you, that your peers influenced, that pop culture's influence, and that you've learned and patchwork together based on your mentors and deep thinking that you've had. And each person has a unique psychological framework. And if that psychological framework interprets something to be a pressure that could break or shift that framework like a build, you know framework like a building that can't withstand the the the, the tornadoes or winds or whatever the rain even then then you're going to feel pressure and so you can dissolve it too you can have such a sturdy framework you know think about the most influential people in the world those that from thousands and thousands of years have changed the way we understand what's possible those tend to be political leaders and spiritual leaders I mean, if you, if you are a spiritual person, do you think that Buddha had pressure? No, he dissolved it. <laughs> you know, he, he'd do public speaking and his heart rate didn't come up. Like he was speaking from a grounded, authentic place. How about Jesus? No, he was passionate and purposeful and he had to, he had to train his mind, I think, as the story goes. So did Buddha, so did Confucius, so did Muhammad. You know, they, they train their minds, they talk about that. But they dissolve pressure because the purpose was so much larger and their internal framework was so sturdy that they dissolved it often. And you see when, when great performers in modern times talk about their best quotes uh, around that, they talk about being in flow state. And flow state, or the zone, if you will, is essentially a dissolving of pressure. It's using the challenge in the environment to have a deep focus. And also, I guess, you know, stitch back to mindfulness. Mindfulness is a deep focus training. So deep focus promotes, is one of the promoters of flow state. So they use their environment to help deep focus. Focus on what? Focus on the most essential task at hand and not have to focus on the clunkiness of worry and doubt and frustration of our mind because we've you know, really worked on having great thoughts. So I, I hope I answered that question for you. 
No, I think that was great. And uh, it's a really important distinction and something that, uh, you know, I think really gives me some good perspective on thinking about and kind of dealing with pressure. Uh, I'd love to circle back and, and kind of tie this in concretely in some way. You know, we started out the conversation sort of talking about the daily architecture of, of world-class performers and sort of what that looks like. I'd love if, if you're comfortable sharing, you know, maybe an example of what does one of those kind of, what does the day in the life of a world-class performer look like from sort of the way that they structure and organize their day? I think you'd be surprised by how much we talk about recovery, the science and the art of recovery. So a normal structure looks something like wake up in the morning, maybe do some body work because there's some re- recovery patterns that need to take place. And then there's obviously food throughout the day is a staple for most and high quality food. And I'll, I'll just talk about a more optimized program, but it's a, it's a pretty early wake up. I get some food in, get some uh, movement rehab, soft tissue work done. There's some meetings that take place, and those meetings are either with the entire team or subparts of a team, and there's individual meetings. There is anywhere between 15, 20 minutes to you know, 60, 70 minutes of physical training in a gym. There's more study time, more meetings. There is at least one, sometimes two, training sessions where you're actually working out your mind, body, and craft. And so that's what a practice really is designed to do. And there's uh, there's some downtime, but it's not as much as you'd think. There's maybe 20 minutes here and there for some downtime. There's obviously, like I said, there's lunch and all, everything embedded through. And then there's more film. So there's meetings, film. There's individual meetings. There's physical movement. There is technical movement. And then there is either threaded throughout or separate time set up for mental training. And the threading throughout is what the highest organizations in the world are doing. They are starting their meetings with X number of minutes of mindfulness training, not waiting for the athlete to do it later, right? They're starting their meetings that way. And that also happens in business as well. You know, businesses, some businesses are doing that, adopting that practice. And so that's what it looks like. And there's often homework and the days are long. And it's uh, there's usually at the upper limits about four hours of nauseatingly deep focused mental uh, physical work, and then there is about four hours of cognitive and or mental emotional work, and rinse and repeat until you get the chance to to compete against other people. And so day in and day out is an internal competition with your teammates as well, not trying to step on their throats and choke them out but working with them to help sharpen their sword and sharpen your sword in return. And then you get a chance to do it with other teams as well. So that's kind of what it looks like. But we talk about the art and science of recovery far more than you might imagine. And we do not approach recovery as something that comes at the end of the process, but it's an integral part of the process itself. And taking time to do this often, to do this challenging is challenging and it's often neglected and it is a essential component of high performance. And I know we, we dug pretty deep into recovery in our first conversation. So we'll make sure to include that in the show notes for listeners who want to kind of dig into some of the other topics that have been circling around what we've, what we've gotten into today. But for listeners who want to, you know, kind of concretely implement a lot of the ideas we've, we've discussed, what would you give to them as kind of one piece of homework or an action item to start implementing some of the ideas we've talked about today? Well, I think that, you know, our last conversation talked about a philosophy. And so if we, right, having your own philosophy, 
And if if that hasn't gotten done yet, I'd say go back and do that and get that done. And if, if folks miss that, maybe, you know, having a link into the, our earlier conversation will help. That I would start there. And if if that's already done or, or, or you don't want to do that for whatever reason, I would start with mindfulness and really paying attention to practicing being aware of the thoughts, of the emotions, of the body sensations and environment and or environment. And, it, you know, mindfulness can be substituted with the word meditation. I, I would just start there. I mean, that's a, a massive accelerant to maybe even mastering the internal domain. It, 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 I can't imagine a process without mindfulness or paying attention to the internal state and, and mastery being in the same conversation. So I like I, I would start there. And I'd also like take a deep, hard look at your sleep patterns. If you're under recovering, you're eventually going to break down and or just your brain does. Our brains do something pretty phenomenal is that they adapt to suboptimal because they say, OK, I see the game you're playing. <laughs> you're not going to allow me to recover properly. Well, I'm just going to not have as amazing of an output. And so suboptimal becomes the new normal, which is a bummer because it's like, you know, it's like cooking a frog. You don't quite realize that it's the boiling water. The, the frog doesn't ever quite realize that it's not in a good environment. So I would start with mindfulness, sleep, philosophy, kind of the big stuff. And last thing as, as we close this out is that Harvard did an amazing study where they followed for 75 years. They followed people on the path of fulfillment you know, deep meaning in life stuff. And what they found is one of the pillars of people that had fulfillment in life is that they asked and wrestled with the deep questions in life. They didn't avoid them. They weren't distracted by them. They actually grokked with it. Who am I? What is my purpose? What am I doing with my efforts? What does this mean to be human? The deep questions in life. What is the is what is the purpose for spirituality, for mindset training, for doing this amazing amount of work? What what am I doing here? And grokking with those big questions, you know, philosophy is who am I? And to do that deep work is is, an, is just another important, I, I guess I would say, reminder for all of us that that stuff you have to do alone, right? You can have those inspired conversations with people, but ultimately you have to make up your mind about who you are. And for listeners who want more of you and your work, where can they find you online? So there's a couple places. Thank you for asking. The, what is it, 140 characters? <laughs> Whatever. Is that what it is? Is Twitter 140 or is it 144? I, 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 I don't know. Didn't they up it to 280 characters? But yeah, I <laughs> So we got 280. Okay. So if something in 280 characters, you can find me on, on social media and on Twitter, which is at Michael Gervais, and that's G E R V A I S. And LinkedIn, same thing, Michael Gervais. Instagram is at Finding Mastery. And so we've got a podcast we fired up called Finding Mastery. And that, that website's pretty clean. It's findingmastery.net. And, you know, world-class performers deconstructing and better understanding their path of mastery. And then uh, Coach Carol and I are just about done with writing our book. So that'll be coming soon. And uh, those are the those are the best places. And then our uh, my business with Coach Carol is called Compete to Create. And that website is compete to create.net. Well, Michael, once again, an incredible conversation, so many great insights and ideas. Always a pleasure to have you on the show to share all of this wisdom. Thank you so much for coming back and returning to the science of success. Uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for listening to the science of success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. 
If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.